What do I define about growing up? You know what I'm saying? Like feeling better, living better, better location. What he failed to tell you was when you're on my time, I can reclaim it. I, he left that out, so I'm reclaiming my time. Please, you respond. Are you kidding me? Who are you rooting for tonight? I'm rooting for um everybody black. Betting on black tonight. I'm sorry for the realness. Hey everybody, it's Whitney from WhitneyDanielle.com and NetworkAndSpill.com. And on this episode of Network and Spill, I'm very excited. You guys know how I feel about my hashtag Stranger Danger series. It is my baby child and I think is one of the coolest things I've literally ever created, especially on the show about networking. Um, on this episode, we're going to talk to somebody who I found. Actually, I don't even remember how I found her. I think it was social media and then, well, obviously it was social media, but I think it was actually, you know what? I think it was from this chick who we'll talk about. Um, I believe her name is Julia or Julia, but she is the, I guess the owner of a Facebook group, right? And she has this group and I joined it and I was like, okay, she just, she posted something and I was like, Ooh, I like it. And so I followed her on, I went to her Instagram or her Facebook. And I totally Facebook stalked her, found out she had a Facebook group, was like, mm, need to join, joined. And then lo and behold, I meet some pretty amazing people. Now, one of the very first people I met is my guest. And I was like, girl, immediately we needed to connect. We need to talk. We need to kiki. We need to, we need to have a conversation um, or two. And so I connected her completely out of the random y'all on I am on Facebook and was like, hey girl, hey, you don't know me, but I'm Whitney and we need to be friends. And she was like, she was like, oh, um, okay. And then literally we set up a time and we introduced each other to ourselves. This was maybe a few weeks back. So again, I do not know this guest. She is somebody whose background I'm not privy to. Um, we're going to learn about what she does, where she grew up, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm really excited to dive into her story. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Miss Louisa, also known as Weez, also known as Weezy Duran. Now her website is LouisaDuran.com. She's got her own podcast show, which is called Not How That Works, which I think is hilarious. And her background is really, really robust. In addition to being a podcaster, she is a social impact strategist. In addition to being a social impact strategist, she is also a liberation and decolonization coach, which I think is really fucking cool. I don't know if you know what that is. I don't know if I know what that is, but we're going to find out right now. Welcome, Wheezy. Thank you for being here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> um, point of clarity, you messaged me and you're like, yo, you don't know me, but we need to be friends. And I, before I answered, Facebook stalked you and I was like, fuck yes, we need to be friends. And, and so it wasn't like, huh, mm, okay, weirdo. It was like, yes, let's do this. And then, yeah, I was like, let's talk in real life. Here's let's schedule time to like get on a call. Um, there was a lot more excitement. There was on my end than you just portrayed. <laughs> there was there was excitement from both. And you know what I will say right. that you just reminded me of? You immediately opened up your calendar to me. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something to be said about that because most people are so like they just grasp white knuckle. They're they're I mean, I guess pardon the pun, but not really <laughs> unintended. They white knuckle their time, you know, and they keep, and I realize time is precious, right? It's very valuable. It's an unreplenishable resource. However, when somebody says, hey, I'm interested in you, 
and you respond with, that's so cool. I'm interested. Let's talk. That's powerful. And I wish more people were like that. And I wish that happened more often because it was a very organic, very fast moving conversation. And I think that's so cool. And I think if people see that and they're like, okay, cool. Yes, you checked me out, of course, to make sure I wasn't like some rando. But you're like, okay, she seems legit. Let's talk more. And you literally sent me the link to your calendar and was like, let's just book a time just to introduce each other. That's all we did was just said, hey, I'm so-and-so. I'm in this group. Um, What's good? That's it. Where are you based? Cool. And then we just have been kind of connected on social media since then. So um, tell the people a little bit about your background. So you, you have the show, we'll get into that soon, but let's okay. talk about you as a coach, a liberation yeah. decolonization coach. What does that mean? Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, so in order to explain what that means, I have to like, st- I'll take a step back and explain a little bit about like my framework and how I view the world. So I fundamentally believe that all of us have been colonized right? We live in a system of supremacy, not just in this country, like within, like on a global international level, right? We live within a system of supremacy and oppression because whiteness and imperialism and colonization have riddled the world over. Um, And so we've all been colonized by this system. Now, our colonization looks different, right? So colonization for folks with marginalized identities, so people of color, women, you know, trans identities, so on and so forth, Um, have internalized, you know, racism, misogyny, bigotry, and mainstream identities, men, white folk, et cetera, et cetera, have internalized the very false belief of their, right, like their right to, uh, well, everything, entitlement, privilege, um, as well as the narratives they hold around the ways in which we're allowed to occupy space. And by we, I mean folks with marginalized identities. So we're all colonized. And while our work looks different, we all have work to do, right? So people with mainstream identities have to decolonize their uh, notions of supremacy, whether they're aware of them or blind to them because they live in all of us. And then folks with marginalized identities, our liberation work is very different. And I think it's far more important and we'll get into that in a second. Um, but it, it really looks like rejecting all of, right, all of the ways in which we've been Uh, oppressed and limited access uh, to every fucking thing um, and boxed into very specific lanes. And so it's kind of like breaking those, what I call invisible chains of the system. Um, Because, and, and I get white people either love me because they're like, yes, this is like hella real and I want to do this work. Or I like ruffle their little internal white supremacist demons. Cause I always say like slavery, uh, you know, in a literal sense and quote, quote unquote, ended. Um, but the system still has its chains and holds on all of us. Um, and so it's, it's really the process of breaking those chains. Mm. See, y'all just thought this was going to be a regular stranger danger episode. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't no regular around here. Rano. <laughs> yeah. See, and this is why I was excited to have this conversation with you because I mean, come on, I'm like 98.76% sure most people listening have not heard somebody doing the work that you're doing. So it's very unique. Um, We see people speaking, right? Maybe talking about it, maybe even writing about it, sharing their stories. But to see people who are doing the work to help white people um, and people who are in need of help of some sort, um, it's just rare. We, We haven't, I haven't seen it and I'm on the internet all the fucking time. So I think it's really important. So let's get into a little bit more about um, the social 
impact strategy work? How does that kind of coincide? How different are they, et cetera? Yeah, so social impact strategy is really this like, you know, white people love titles and terms. <laughs> so it's become this, and, and I say white people, like people that are don't know me or haven't listened to the to my podcast ever, like there are people who happen to be white and then there are white people, right? And those are people that really adopt and buy into the system and are white centering and haven't done their own unpacking of privilege and so on and so forth. And there's still the people that are really running corporations and systems of education and policies and politics and all of those other things. So uh, (laughs) there are folks that are doing the work that have done the work that I do. Um, We have this like really cool underground covert collective. We like all know each other, (laughs) Um, more like the Avengers. But uh, it, it really was a language to be able to signal to you know, white folk who are really running the systems in which we live um, to signal to them that there's actually a business strategy, right? There, is, there truly is empirical evidence that we can use to prove that if you do X, Y, Z, your outcome will be ABC, right? So that, that first, that language is like, I always laugh at it, but obviously you have to, in order to break the system down, you have to exist within it first and understand it, right? So that's kind of like my little spiel on that. But essentially what it means is it's one thing to move people and people through a process, right? So that's what coaching is. That's what decolonization and liberation is about. We all move through a process. But once you as a human, let's say you've now evolved and you have this equity lens in which you're moving through the world. And as a human, you're like, man, I've really unpacked my privilege. I'm standing as an accomplice to those that are marginalized. That's all fine and well as you move through your personal life, but you need to get actionable. There needs to be a next step, right? And so to me, you can't just go through the personal evolution. You also need to be able to go into your workplace, into your coffee shop, into wherever you are and be able to know how to strategically impact your environments, right? And so if you're the CEO of, let's say, Mattel, I don't know where that just came from, but you're you're the CEO of Mattel, which is a toy company, very large one for those that don't know, and you've unpacked your privilege. And so like, I, I know for a fact, he's a white man. So as a white man, you're walking around like, I'm an accomplice and I'm an advocate. That's cool. But if you're not taking that into boardrooms, if you're not taking that into HR to say, what are we doing to actually increase our not only diversity in terms of numbers of, you know, different segments of the population, but our corporate inclusivity. What are we doing to ensure that our hiring pipelines are reflective of the actual world that we live in? So how am I moving in very strategic, methodical ways that not only increase accessibility to those with marginalized identities, but decrease my harm footprint in the world? Right. And then the flip side of that for people with marginalized identities, it really looks like, how do I survive? How do I get, how do I maintain my safety? And how do I get what I want as a human person understanding the system in which we live? First of all, this work is beautiful. I think it's really, really cool and very important and super imperative for a lot of people. And and as you're telling the story of Mattel, all I see are all of the white men that I've ever worked with. Um, in corporate. And 
the one thing, you know, I see, I'm like, wow, you know, I wonder what that meeting would look like. You know, I'm, I'm in meetings with white dudes all the time. Like, I wonder what that meeting would look like where, you know, somebody's standing up and being like, fuck, yeah, we're going to take actual initiative. We're not just going to talk about it. We're going to be about it. There's going to be brown people everywhere. Um, I, I wish, you know, that meeting were were happening more, but I wonder what it would look like. And I think when I look at the CEOs and upper management and leadership of a lot of these companies, and just even within a lot of segments within the companies, everybody is running at a thousand miles per hour. And they just decide to outsource. They're like, oh, well, race, you know, it's such a hot topic. Everyone's offended by everything now. Hashtag me too. Like, what are we supposed to say? Nobody knows what to do. Like now everybody was, they were curious for like a split second, I feel. And then they were like, yeah, we're not qualified to do this. We're guys. We like to only do shit. We're actually really, really knowledgeable on because our egos are more important than anything else and anyone. So we're going to outsource. And so I feel there's been a lot of movement movement towards outsourcing for this diversity and inclusion. They've got these little groups now and companies where people are like, okay, we're going to be inclusive. We've hired Joanne from so-and-so company and I'm very interested in seeing some of these stats later. I mean, what is your take on some of the work that's been happening right now in corporate? Well, first of all, I call bullshit because what I see in corporations, again, remember, it's two parts, right? So there's the what I call the, the coaching personal development part, and then there's the actual strategist part. And so what corporations are doing is they're doing the strategy without any of the de- personal development. Mm-hmm. So they're bringing people in and they're like, help us be inclusive. And then that or they end up internally tokenizing whoever is, you know, the closest thing to representative of whatever they're trying to push, whether it's, you know, a person of color, trans identity, queer identity, whatever. Um, And then they tokenize that person. One, if you had done your personal development work, you would have known that that is incredibly harmful and problematic, but you didn't do it. So now in order to achieve your goal of strategy, they tokenize folk and then they're like, we're inclusive and diverse we have Cinco de Mayo parties and we have Chinese New Year parties and we do all this stuff for Black History Month. First of all, like you're not actually doing shit, right? Like you're not creating safe environments for people of color. You're not creating safe environments for women. Like, oh, we're going to do a workshop right around the Me Too movement and give so that we can say we did or whatever. Like here's a questionnaire and a flyer. Like fuck that you're not actually doing anything, right? And because what happens is that in corporations, when they're just looking for strategy, it's because they're so concerned about their perception. They're concerned about their brand and they're concerned about offending people. But what they don't realize is that you can offend anybody, but there's a difference between offending somebody and having an actual negative, harmful impact on somebody, right? Affecting somebody and offending them are entirely different. You might tell a joke that... You, that about trans folk that I find offensive. I'm like, whoa, that was offensive as fuck. But I don't have a trans identity. So I'm not actually affected, right? And so they're just like, oh, let's not offend people. Like, let's make, let's make sure that we're not in the news. Let's say we did this, so we said we can, but they're not actually changing the corporate culture. They're not actually creating an inclusive environment. They're not increasing safety. They're not decreasing their harm footprint. They're not making sure that folks don't feel tokenized. They're not making sure that they're increasing accessibility to folks with marginalized identities in terms of, you know, growth opportunities, promotions, hiring, you know, to begin with, um, so on and so forth. So I think corporations are full of shit. 
It's one of the reasons that I don't actually work with very large corporations unless they give me kind of like one, the ability to bring in, like I said, this like covert collective that I like, you know, know the our Avenger style, like bring in, create a team of consultants and also give us like carte blanche to be like, oh, so you're, this is a long game. Like this isn't like, we're going to go on a weekend retreat and learn some shit. Like, nah, no, like, <laughs> cause that's not how that works. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's how I fundamentally feel. I look at all these companies that are like, Google and Nike and blah, 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 blah. And a lot of them are doing it because now like with the social climate that we're in, you have to, because you either are or you're canceled, which is also another problem, but whatever. That's not the point. But so, you know, you have to, but also because what they, what there, there are, there's empirical evidence that shows when you begin to have more diverse, now not inclusive, just diverse workforces, your, your profits increase by 35%. Mm. simply by having diversity. So what they're doing, again, it's this strategic move to create diversity so that in public eye, they look good. They're saying like, oh, we're doing the things. We don't support Trump. And then now they have this, like Nike's a perfect example. If I told you the backstory as to what they actually did to Kaepernick before he became the face of everything, which will be a podcast episode, people would lose their shit. Companies are not stupid. They're like, we're going to be diverse. We're going to do the strategy. But they haven't done the decolonization and liberation work for their upper management or whoever's creating policies, procedures, and corporate culture. So they don't have the inclusion. So you're bringing people in to increase your profits by at least 35% because there's empirical evidence, remember, that says that you can. But these people aren't safe. So there's high turnover, right? Like there's toxicity. There's all of these other things. But they don't care because, you know, they'll just replace whoever their token black dude was or whoever their token Southeast Asian woman was or their trans identity, whoever fits those boxes. And that is my spiel on corporate culture. That's why I think it's trash. It is trash. I mean, it, and it's, it's, it's super toxic and it takes more than one person. You know, yes. it can't just be the CEO mm-hmm. of Mattel, right? It right. has to be the CEO and like everyone that person touches or deals with in a day. Right. Um, it can't, and everybody who's in leadership, it really, it makes a difference. And I've, I've been talking about this too with, um, my dad is a manager at a, at a major company and he was talking about, you know, his hiring and, you know, he interviews people and, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting conversation when he's there. And what I love is that because he's a person of color, he doesn't look at people the same way as his white, maybe counterparts might, um, he looks at everybody as like people and I'm not saying or assuming that like the white guy who's doing the same shit as my dad is looking at them some kind of way. But I think there's a possibility that he is using some of his internal biases or some of the things he grew up with or experiences that he's had, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to make his decisions. Um, and I just feel like, you know, black people are different. So, um, but it's important to have Black and people of color in management positions because they are more likely to hire, at least from what I've seen. I don't know this for a fact. I've just been in corporate, like, literally my entire adult life. It Um, is a fact. (laughs) Thank you. But it's... it's, You're welcome. (laughs) It's crazy. And I love that, you know, one thing I will say is when there are, when I see, but I look now. I look on your marketing shit. I look on the walls. I look when I'm on your website. Where are the, where are the people at? Where are the people at? 
Because white people aren't just the people. So where are the people at? I want to see that not just in the room. I want to see it on the walls. I want to see it in the brochures. I want to see it in the pictures in the elevator, like the shit that y'all print out. That's where I want to see this. And it makes a difference. And now I've gotten to a point where if I see the diversity, it makes me internally, my biases change or they just kind of, there's like a little meter. And, you know, you're kind of always leaning on the side of they're probably racist as fuck. But the more you see diversity, the more you see inclusion and, and color, the, the less I think they, they go on that scale. Um, but it is important because when I see people like that, when I see black women in the room, when I see black people, in the, women in the elevator or, you know, Latina women or Asian women in the bathroom somewhere, right? When I see them in real life, it makes a big difference. Um, and that to me is important. And I, I hope that everybody who's listening, if you haven't been paying attention, if you haven't been looking, if you haven't been, you know, because sometimes we just don't pay attention. We go in, we mind our business, we dip. But low, low key, maybe even high key, when we're at lunch, we feel some type of way because we don't have people that we can kiki with at lunch. All we have is Pam at the front desk. And, you know, she's like 60 and she's not that great. I mean, she's cool, but like, <laughs> yeah, but Pam is probably also weathered and Pam is probably also so terrified of losing her job that she maintains like her code switching at all times. And Pam is probably tired because mm. she's been there for 40 years and probably has been at reception, been at reception the whole time and has been dealing with the brunt of whiteness her whole life. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. So, and because if the environment's not safe in general, like, Folks can't even wear their natural hair without getting fired, let alone show up and be themselves in the break room. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I know what you know, that you know what I'm saying. So, yeah. so you know, but to that point, I also want to very explicitly say to anybody who's listening to me and might be confused on something, I serve white people for the purpose of serving black and people of color. Because what I know as a fact is as much as I would like to burn this whole fucking system down, and then when that happens, if we burnt the system down, Black and people of color are one, literally by number, the majority. So this like, that's why I don't use the word minority anymore, because statistically, we have outnumbered white people. White people are dying at a faster rate every year than they are being born. So white people are actually, actually on their way to extinction. Um, Not in our lifetime, but the numbers are there to prove it on a global level, which is also why we're seeing this mass uprising of white supremacy and white nationalism because they're fucking scared, right? Um, But if the system burnt down in terms of numbers and in terms of like strength and power and enclaves, like we would definitely be running shit, right? Um, But we don't live in that version of reality. We live in the version of reality where the system was built to serve and protect and uphold whiteness and it is working just fine. When people are like, the system's broken. No, no, the system's doing exactly what it was always intended to do. Mm-hmm. So I'm aware of that. And it would, be- it behooves me, especially because of my racial ambiguity. Like if y'all go look at me on social media, you're gonna be like, what the fuck is she, right? Like, is she Dominican? Is she Puerto Rican? Is she mixed? Is she black and something and something? Is she... Like, I get it. Depending on what angle you're looking at or how my hair is done, people are, it's confusing. But I use that confusion to my benefit. I use the fact that colorism is real to my benefit, right? And, not, and when I say to my benefit, I mean to open doors for the rest of the culture, 
right? For the rest of for the rest of my melanated brothers and sisters who are visibly whatever they are, and especially for dark skinned black women. I'm like, oh, you gonna let me in the room? Cool. I'm gonna take off this door and take off these hinges. And oh yeah, those 15 dark skinned black women you wasn't finna let in? Yeah, they're with me. Oh, you don't want to let them in? Let's talk about that publicly. Do you want to come on my podcast? Oh, you don't? You should probably let them in the room. Right? Like, that's why I serve white people. So I just also, I just, I like to be really explicit about that because I'm, I'm not here to knock anybody's hustle. There are folks that are definitely doing this work that, that serve white people because at the end of the day, one, white people definitely need to evolve, right? And, and unpack their, their privilege and their bias. And because of the way the world is set up, they have the money. <laughs> right. Um, and that's cool. That's fine. Right. Like do your thing, make your money. We all need that. But my framework is different. It's the exact same reason I just sent you a, a link to my calendar because for me, it's about building this community and building a network and building a sisterhood and building right. Like this, this team, because we're stronger together. And it's like, if I can uplift or, or break a door down or, change even one corporate culture to actually be able to impact even again, just one person with a marginalized identity, which obviously statistics show us that if you change corporate culture, you're going to impact a lot more than one. Right. But like, if I can at least do that, like, that's my purpose. That's my goal. Like I've succeeded. And so I'm out here working with white folks because I'm like, at the end of the day, I actually do need y'all to start making these changes. Cause I can scream and yell and shout that the building is on fire and there's smoke. And you know, like I can see it clear as day, but if we don't have white people that have an equity lens that enables them to see that same fire and smell that smoke, then it's just me screaming and hollering. Mm. That's true. Right. So I just like to be really explicit about that. Um, that's also why a lot of white folks find me, confrontational and combative because like if they are at all harmful to anybody around me on social media in a space like I'm shutting that shit down immediately right because my everything that I do I'm always conscious about who is the most marginalized in this situation and how are they being impacted and how can I use kind of like my double agency in terms of like being able to like covertly get through certain systems because of the, the way that the system, right? Like gives us access or denies us access based on identity. Like how can I use that to be a shield for, for like my brothers and sisters in arms? And I'm okay with them being mad. Be mad. I mean, you be high. Be big mad. Right. It's PSL season. Like go get you a Starbucks. <laughs> you'll be fine. Literally you'll be fine, Karen. So <laughs> I, I do want to, um, you know, I do think that people want, I think, I really do believe that there are people who want to be checked, who want to be put in their place. I think there is so much confusion right now in the world and there is so much tension, racial tension, sexual tension. There's all kinds of tension and people want to know where to go. And and sometimes it just takes a push. They need to be pushed into the right facing direction. And, And that to me is... I think it's a really important thing to do. And I'm glad that you're doing that because it's brave and um, not everybody is really set up to do that. Um, just like not everybody is set up to receive it at this moment, right? I Correct. Think the student is ready, the teacher appears. I believe that shit full-heartedly. Um, so um, I do want to get into the podcast show. So tell me the, sh- the show is called Not How That Works. That's not how that works. That's not how that works. Yeah. Tell me about how that started. 
So it started because, so I have a co-host, Trudy, shout out Trudy. And um, we are quote unquote nerds. So when Black Panther came out, <laughs> we were super hype on it, right? And she's on the East Coast, so she saw it. And I'm, I'm in, the, I'm, so I'm born and bred from Oakland. And I had moved back to Oakland. So I was living in Oakland when the movie came out. For the, y'all that don't know, Ryan Coogler, who's the director of that film, is from Oakland. Like, we were adjacent to each other in high school. So, like, I support everything he does. And also, I am a nerd, right? Um, so I was super excited about this uh, movie coming out. And she was too. And so she sees it before me and she's texting me and she's like, oh my God, there's a movie in a movie. Like there's so many things happening. Like they're calling out whiteness, but like they're also, there's black excellence and like there's so many, oh my God. And I was like, ah, don't say anything. I haven't seen it yet. So I see it the next day and her and I are just like, she also does, she does different work, but she also essentially does social impact work, right? So we go into this extra nerd layer conversation about like, well, if racism is actually based on power dynamics and in Wakanda, all the black folk have power, like, could they actually then be racist against white people? What information do we have in the movie to either support the yay or the nay in that narrative? Like, what do like gender dynamics look like if, you know, like the Dora Milaje are like the royal guard and they're women, like, we just nerded the fuck out. And it became this conversation that was like rooted in real life, right? Like systems of oppression and power and privilege, but entirely based on this movie and like the information we had from the movie. And we were like, we have to make a podcast about this. So we record. Also, I'm obsessed with Michael B. Jordan. I have zero celebrity crushes. I don't get, I don't care. In a past life, I worked in music and sports. So I literally don't care, but that he is one of the most beautiful creatures. I don't know what it is about him. I think it's a smile, but anyways, so (laughs) that's an aside. So of course I was very excited to be able to sit around and like dissect this and talk about him. I have no shame, but that's really how it started. And it was six episodes really doing this like socio-political power dynamic breakdown around like narratives of all of these things in Wakanda. And then we originally, it was just going to be like six episodes and we were like, okay, it's like a mini podcast. And it used to be called Hey Auntie, because that's what Bay said when he goes into the throne room. Bay is Michael B. Jordan. And he, when he's like, hey, auntie, right? Um, to Angela Bass's character. Um, and after that, people were like, uh, excuse me, you're not done. Like what WTF? So we sat down and we were like, I mean, we both do this work. And even though we come at it differently and we do different work, like these are conversations that we need to be having. And so she's also a coach. And we both sat down and we were like, yo, the coaching industry is total garbage. Like it is an, it is a hundred percent white centering. It is a total reproduction of the system of oppression. It replicates the tools of whiteness super blatantly and then super subtly. It's super insidious. It's incredibly toxic and harmful. And a spirit, especially when you get into like the spiritual level of it, like the way that the spiritual community within coaching uses their spirituality to bypass the realities of oppression is so dangerous and harmful, but everything's all love and light and it's total bullshit. So we were like, let's start having that conversation. And now here we are 50 something episodes in a year later. Wow. Yeah. 
So that's really how we came to to have this podcast. And I always say the universe provides and the coaching industry constantly provides. Mm-hmm. Like the work and so we start with something that like is happening in the coaching industry or that's rooted in the industry. And then we take it like big scale and kind of have a larger sociopolitical conversation about like, how do we decolonize and how do white folk need to do better? And how can folks with marginalized identities protect themselves? And what does true accomplishment looks like? So every single episode still goes through that framework of like, here's the problem. Here's how we rip it down. Here's why y'all are bugging. And this is how you do better and fix it and, or protect yourself depending on what your identity is. Mm-hmm. Wow. I get to talk yes. shit. It's amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. That's a beautiful place to be. Now, you know, me being in the coaching industry, I've honestly burnt myself out with the coaching industry, if we're being 100 here, which we are. Um, and I've also burnt myself out with Instagram because I feel like they've both been whitewashed to the point of exhaustion. And I sit here and I'm just like, bro, I'm tired. It's really tiring. And I didn't even, I, you know, I struggled. I have a post, I don't know if you saw, it was rural. You would have to scroll for a hot minute about calling myself a life coach. And, you know, that was, I struggled. I'm like, well, if I call myself that, all I think of when I think of life coaches are old white men who had a near-death experience. I mean, doesn't look like me. Um, I didn't almost, I, I mean, at least not that I'm aware of, right? So this just doesn't seem... It just doesn't seem right. And then when you look at the marketing, I find the marketing is the, and I just told my friend this the other day, I was like, bro, I wish there was marketing books for black women because we are different. Just like Latina women, we're different. And when it comes to marketing, we speak in different ways, in different terms, different vernacular. We, you know, our ears pipe up because of certain things and, and it's just not being seen. And, and all you do see is hair care shit. Like, who did the I am not my hair? Who, who was that? Was it India Ari? India Ari. Jiminy fucking cricket. It drives me insane that all you see marketed to, you know what I mean, women of color on the internet is fucking hair care. Literally, that's even on Pinterest, bro. Hair care and how to rid yourself of hyperpigmentation. <sighs> that's literally <laughs> everything that I get. It's so trash flat tummy tea and waist trainers that's it tummy fucking tea yeah again like I can't so um yeah I mean I I've struggled with that so we'll definitely we'll definitely learn more and talk more about that as as time goes on I will definitely have you back on the show to do a master class um because I think there's some topics that I would love to dive deeper into and if you're listening here and you're like wow I I wish you would hit on this or I wish you would talk about that send us a dm if there's something that you want us to dive deeper into in regards to race, to liberation, to um, people of color in mainstream media, social media, et cetera, um, send us a note. Tell us where you fit in. I think that would be helpful for us to shape that conversation so that we can make it special and helpful and useful to everybody who's listening or to most people who are listening. Because most of the people who are listening have somebody they know in the social media realm, right? Um, as an entrepreneur, Black women are still the leading group of entrepreneurs in this country. So, I mean, there's that. But then if you look at the stats on how many of them are still in business four to 10 years later, the numbers are, are just, you know, aren't that great. And so one of the reasons why I believe that is because of just the way the system is rigged. Um, it's definitely not in our favor and it has never been in black women's favor. So for people to think that we're just going to be entrepreneurs and it's just going to pop off wrong. right. 
it's it's that's just not the way this shit. Otherwise, my black ass would have been fucking multimillionaire talking to Oprah right now. Garen fucking T. I really do believe that if I were a different color, this is straight up. If I was a different color and I was speaking to a different group, I would have already hit some crazy social media influencer fucking mark. I'm talking many yes. moons ago. Many moons ago. Yeah. And it irritates me because I'm not changing my market. I can't change who I, what I look like, right? I don't care how much fucking cream y'all try to sell me. That shit's never going to fucking happen. Not that I would ever want it to happen, mm-hmm. but you know, we're just not in that, we're just not in that area. So, you know, that's an important conversation and I don't see people having it. So whatever it is that you think is a hot topic in that realm that you would, that you would like, definitely send us a PM. You know, my, my email is Whitney at WhitneyDanielle.com and I'm on social, which we'll, we'll get into. All this is in the show notes, by the way. So feel free to check out her podcast. That's not how that works. Be sure to check out social media handles and um, websites and all of that in the show notes as well. So I do want to shift gears and get more into what you're working on Let's do right it. now in the world. What are you putting out there? What are you most proud of? What work are you, are you doing that you feel is making a difference for the end of 2019 into 2020? Yeah. So people can't see me, but I'm like popping it because I am super amped about the shift that I'm making in my business. Um, so I had a download to use coaching industry language. <laughs> Y'all, I make fun of these people. Like, I, I, as an aside, I am a super troll. Like, I, I think part of it is, well, people call it trolling now, but there's a difference between real trolling and then, like, you know, in communities of color, color like, especially the black community, like, roast culture is a thing. Mm-hmm. Roast culture sometimes is just how you engage. It's how you show love. Like, it, there's, so it's not like trolling in the way that like there are very real trolls online. Right. Right. But it's like, it's this roast culture. And I have gotten to a place where like, I'm not code switching. And I tell people like, I'm not talking to you. If you hear me and you're like, oh, like I connect, like I just see a person and that's how she talks, whatever. Cool. Bet. But I'm not talking to you. So, um, yeah, I, I quote unquote troll. And it brings me great joy and I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, so that being said, I had like a download um, a month and a half, two months ago. Uh, and and I, it became very clear to me for a couple of reasons. One, this burnout that you were talking about in the coaching industry is very real. Um, and especially for the work that I do, because I already navigate the world as a woman of color, Right marginal and with different marginalized identities, like intersecting. Cool. So that means I'm already doing emotional labor, mental labor, left and right, just also trying to exist. Then I do this work where if I get paid by white folk, I then also perform this labor, but there's an added element, which is white folks show up in this space and I give them permission to be the whitest of white which means they say problematic things. They can be really harmful. They can be combative as they're going through their decolonization process. And I understand that. And I understand that that's the system at play. But that doesn't mean that the human part of me doesn't get triggered or traumatized or re-traumatized. But in that space, because I am setting the container and I am the coach and facilitator, I have to control that shit, which is a lot of work in and of itself. So I found myself at a point where I was like, I'm exhausted all the time, literally 
all the time because you're already just holding space for people in general as a coach, but then to have to show up in that way, it is genuinely exhausting. And then because of the podcast and all these other things, people are always like, and because I'm super bold at the mouth and unapologetic and I don't fucking care. Like, I'm going to say what it is. I'm going to call a duck a duck, like point blank period, right? Mm -hmm. People tag me into things left and right and expect me to get into these conversations. And I'm good at boundaries. And I'll be like, "Um, the way that my bandwidth is set up, um, here's my PayPal link, right? Like, fine. But I just got to a point where I was like, wild, exhausted all the time. And I really rooted it back to the way in which I was expending my energy and I had to make a decision. And I was like, yo, do I really want to continue to expend my energy fully to white people in order to fucking hope that they're really, you know, bringing it back and changing the system? Or I do want, do I want to more directly serve us? And the decision was, was easy for me. It was, I want to more directly serve us. So I'm going to keep doing, I have working towards woke, which is the program that I run for white folk. I only run it twice a year. It's 12 weeks. So it's easy, right? And if you're signing up for that, it's because you know good and well what you're going to get because, you know, it's tied into the podcast. So I'm like, okay, I don't have to convince you that there's a problem. Like, you know that there is and you're actually wanting to do this work. Fine, I will work with those people. Otherwise, I developed and I am super fucking excited about um, my decolonization and liberation mastermind specifically for Black, Indigenous women of color. Um, it's called Reclaim and it starts in October So it's the actual program itself is nine months long. And I created it because I got to a point where I realized that I was mentoring a lot of women, but mostly women were coming to me and they were like, how do you basically like, how do you protect your peace? How do you evolve, like develop boundaries? Like, how did you go through this work? Like, how do you exist in this world without constantly being upset or enraged or weathered? Or how do you articulate these things without crying sometimes because you're just so hurt? right? Not just as a person of color, but as a woman, you know, and, and, and maybe as an immigrant and maybe as cis and, or, or trans and maybe as queer, like, right? Because the intersectionality matters. And I realized that for me, the liberation of people with marginalized identities, especially Black women, is single-handedly the most disruptive and revolutionary act that we can undertake as people, And that's what I wanted to be a part of. And that's what I wanted to help create. And that's the container and the space that I wanted to create. Because in the coaching industry, nobody's creating programs worried about us, thinking about us, making sure that we're safe, talking to us, dealing with our problems, marketing to us. And so I said, fuck that, I'm gonna do it. (laughs) Because I kept looking left and right. And I'm like, I'm going through programs and I'm being harmed or I'm doing extra emotional labor. And like, what am I paying you for? I'm paying you to, to keep myself safe. Like, that's your job. You know what I mean? Like, so I didn't want another woman to have to, woman of color, and especially black women to have to go through that. So I was like, cool, here's Reclaim. And it's, a th- it's like, it sounds very simple, right? And then you get into it and you're like, oh no, this is going to be a whole journey. But like the first phase is really all about like the intersection of your identities, the, the way that society has created lanes and narratives for you. Like I said earlier, like breaking these invisible chains and reframing and recreating narratives and getting to a place where you're like, this is who I am. This is who I am authentically. This is what I want. This is what I need. This is what I desire. This is how I want to show up in this world. And I really don't care how this system has told me I'm supposed to show up or I'm allowed to show up. What spaces I'm allowed to take. Like, fuck that. Right? 
I want parking spot XYZ, I'm going to go get parking spot XYZ. Right. And that's like a, a very simple example. Right. But that's the first phase. It's really about restructuring and reframing these narratives. It's about the unpacking of our own internalized everything, the whole system. We've taken it into ourselves, right? Where we swim in the waters of white supremacy and, and superiority and misogyny and all these other things. So we're not exempt from the internalization of it. The human body is like, what, 94, 98% water? So you absorb it. We're sponges. The second part is like, cool, you are who you are. And you are like, I am X, Y, Z. I'm not apologizing for it. That can potentially, and it will, ruffle men and white folk and, you know, all these other mainstream identities. So how do you protect yourself? How do you stay safe? How do you establish boundaries? How do you create language for yourself to, to maintain that? How do you make sure that you are showing up unapologetically in the safest way possible with, with the ability to also still, right, be like, tell somebody like, you can have a whole fucking seat without then internalizing that negativity, like letting it be the thing on the outside and not still letting it, you know, become a part of like fucking up your whole day or what have you. And that is hard. It is hard. And then the last part, again, remember, like my whole process is personal development to strategic implementation. The last part is literally strategy. It's like, cool. You know who you want to be and how you want to show up and what spaces you want to take up. You now have this toolkit to do it safely and protect your peace. So now we finna turn your life upside down. And maybe not. Maybe some, like, right, because people are going to be at different points in their journey. Some people are going to be starting out. And some people are like, oh, I just need that last bit of support. And I don't know what it looks like. Um, but that last part is like, now we're going to reframe and change your personal and professional life, your love life, your family, right? Especially because as women of color and especially black women, like we have this narrative that it's like, well, that's your mother. That's your father. That's your brother. That's your cousin. Like that's your family. It doesn't matter how toxic or harmful they are to you as a human being. It doesn't matter how much they devalue on a regular basis. Like that's your grandmother. Cool. I can love them with everything that exists inside of me and still maintain this boundary because I will not allow anybody in my space that doesn't fundamentally honor who I am as a human being. And that's okay. And I'm not going to apologize for it. But that means that there's going to be confrontation and there's going to be shifts and there's going to be changes. And so that last part is really, what does that look like? Right? And then professionally, do you want to raise do you want to start your own business? And if you want to start your own business, because if you hire a business coach that is white, they're going to be replicating systems of whiteness and capitalism is inherently white and capitalism is inherently based on white supremacist culture. So they're just going to teach you. And this is actually why I hold the belief that this is why black women, while they are the number one largest growing, you know, kind of like sub demographic of entrepreneurs or demographic of entrepreneurs are also the ones that burn out and fail the quickest because they're taught quote unquote systems of business that don't serve who they are. They're like, there's no cultural competency in that. There's no marketing strategy. They're not asking them as you, as a black woman, what do you want? How do you want to show up? Simple shit, sales funnels. That might work for some people, right? But what I know is that if somebody sends me an email because I happen to click on their website once trying to sell me something, I'm going to be mad as fuck. I'm going to be like, why? Are, I don't even know you. I don't know what you do. Stop emailing me. But if somebody, oh, I don't know, Facebook messages you authentically and is like, yo, I think you're dope. Like, I'm just trying to connect. Cool. Let's connect. Let's build community because that's more authentic. That's white people do that other shit. Like I have something to sell you, <laughs> right? Like 
that's an entirely different system of, of existing. Right. So, so the whole point of this last phase is like, how do you create a life that is really rooted not only in who you are fundamentally, but you're the, uh, at the intersection of all of your identities that make up how you move in the world and how you see the world. How do you then create the life that truly honors all of that? Whether it's, again, business, a change in career, maybe you are, you know, Janet, who's been the secretary for 40 years. And Janet's like, yo, I've been watching y'all do XYZ forever. And I actually want to do this instead now. Cool. How do we get Janet to this? Right. So that, that I'm like super excited about that. That's that. So that starts in, in October. Um, and the, the goal is really that I'm going to get to a point where like, I'll probably still maybe teach working towards woke for another year. Um, and then I don't know, maybe I'll bring somebody else in to actually teach that. And I'll just kind of like oversee it. Um, but my goal moving forward is really just to specifically be serving black indigenous women of color. Um, because the coaching industry is full of programs and I personally haven't seen a single one that is rooted specifically first in the decolonization and liberation of melanated human beings, and then gives them the tools and the strategy to create lives that are authentic to them. Mm. I haven't seen it. Mm -hmm. And I haven't seen spaces that are explicitly for us. You see a lot of spaces that are like LGBTQIA, you know, whatever, like trans and people of color, like, welcome. We're, we think about you, but this is still a white space. Mm-hmm. There isn't, I haven't seen a space that's like white people. This is explicitly not for you. And at the foundation of this, it's BIWOC as an identity. And then the intersection of everyone else of everything else, right? Like bring it cool. Dope. I don't care how else you identify. Cause as far as I'm concerned, if that's how you navigate the world and that's how you show up as a human being, but you are at least at the very fundamental base of your identity, you identify as a black indigenous woman, woman of color, then that intersection is of course something that has to be considered and thought about. But that intersection also exists within whiteness. Mm. Right. And a lot of white people, as an aside, that's why a lot of white people will use that as like, but I get it. I'm white and trans. I'm white and queer. I'm white. Yeah, no. Mm-mm. I'm white and a woman. Yeah, no. Mm-mm. Sorry, Sorry. <laughs> hate it for you, but not right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm. I'm. I like. This is actually something I could talk about for hours because mm-hmm. I believe so deeply in it. And what I know is that, you know, like you said, I can't change the body that I'm in, but I can use everything that I've learned and I can use my whole history and my whole upbringing and, and the, the education that I fought for and was able to receive um, and the life experience to, like I said, not only make space for those that are more marginalized, but also then like for me, it's not just about throwing the rope back, right. Or, or taking the door off the hinges and, and then ripping down the wall. It's also about like, I, they always say, what is it? Like you can lead a horse to water, but you can't, make the horse drink or whatever, right? Not to say that we're horses, but like that analogy, like you can give somebody the rope and be like, okay, here's the path to walk. But are you fundamentally supporting them as they walk that path to make sure that they have what they need to continue taking one step after another, after another, after another? Because if I throw you the rope and you get to an obstacle or you get to a point in the road where either internally or externally, there is a blockade, 
then I'm, I've only done part of my job. Mm. Right. And, and I'm not interested in just doing part of it. Right. I'm trying to get to the finish line and be like, y'all coming. And like, y'all got here by your own merit. Right. But, but we're all here. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. So yeah, that's, that's what I'm super amped about right now. Sweet. And so the, the details for that will be in the show notes. Um, if you all are interested, if you know somebody who might be interested, I will say this. So on my path to entrepreneurship, one of the first, yeah, one of the very first people that I found was Rosetta Thurman from the happyblackwoman.com. And I went to her event. I flew out to Atlanta and there I found, um, she had a couple of different speakers and one of them was Dr. Venus Opal Reese. Um, who I also adore and who I've known for many, many years. And when I lived in Dallas, we met up and I went to her stuff and I follow her. And now she's in San Diego, which is so funny because I was in San Diego before I was in Dallas, but now she's in San Diego and she's doing her thing. She was the first person that showed me the power of what it means to be a Black woman in business. And I will tell you, it was one of the greatest gifts I got in my business because it opened my eyes to a different perspective. It very, it's very similarly like being woke to something, right? She opened my eyes to a reality that nobody around me had ever talked about, had ever sat down and dived deep into, or had ever really explained to me. Um, she explained capitalism and, and what whiteness meant to business women of color. She explained how, you know, we operate differently and how to use that, how to use our stories to get the messaging out there, etc. But what I will say about what you're offering here is that you're offering this step beyond that, which is the help and the guidance and the support beyond owning your story as, you know, a person of color, as a woman of color in business. And I think if you are a Black woman entrepreneur, this is important for you. If you haven't had these conversations, if you haven't read about this, I really encourage you to do so. Um, actually, uh, Dr. Venus, she wrote a book. I think it's called Black Woman Millionaire, and I bought it. It's on Amazon. I can link it. Um, and she talks a little bit about her story, and her story is insane. Insane. She is Dr. Venus Opal Reese for a reason. She did all this work, and she came from... The hood. I believe she's from Baltimore and she was living on the streets. Like her story is insane. Just to hear about how she went from where she was to, you know, who she is now is incredible. And she's still a work in progress, right? You follow her, she keeps a 100. She cusses, she's hilarious. But she was one of the first black women entrepreneurs I ever saw keep it real, like really real, like to the point where it was like you were laughing and crying in the same 45 second spiel. And that means a lot. So I think it's important to, you know, get yourself around these women, get yourself in these spaces, get yourself following these social media accounts. I will link them all in the show notes. Um, but what I will say, Weezy, is what you are offering is something more to women who need that support because it's not enough to, most of us aren't at a place, we don't all have therapists or somebody who's going to be able to help, especially black women therapists who are able to help walk us through some of this real internal shit. If you've had triggers or traumatization or, you know, PTSD around certain, like it doesn't, I don't know right? We all have different backgrounds and walks of life, but you may not have that. If you, if you haven't had severe trauma or issues, et cetera, like that, then, you know, I think it's still important to have support. It's, it's good to have support regardless, because like you said, burnout is real and it fucking blows because guess what it affects? Everything, your mental, your pockets, your relationships, your relationship to yourself, right? Your health, 
your self-care routine, like literally everything stems down. So this work is powerful and it's important. So definitely share this episode out. Definitely share these resources. Um, If you're interested in the program, for sure, click the link. Just send her a DM and ask her what's really good. If you have questions, uh, maybe you're in corporate and you're not in, in business per se. And you want to know more about how to navigate that. I know how exhausting it can be to be the only black woman. I'm I'm in technology, right? The only cybersecurity person that looks like me, period. I can't imagine in cybersecurity. That's literally why I left corporate. And then, you know, I was in, like I said, I was in music and sports and I, not, mm mm-mm. Listen, it, no. there's so much fucking money to be made in cybersecurity as a black woman. I'm sure. Because when they had, back when um, President Obama was in office, they had these contracts. Because I'm, you know, kind of in the D.C. area a lot. That's where I spend a lot of my time. And they made it so that if you, ha- if you got more money or you were overlooked from stuff, you were disqualified from shit from the government if you did not have a diversified group of individuals on your teams. I'm pretty sure that's how it worked. And mm-hmm. so people were looking. For minorities, they're like, where y'all at? Where y'all at? We need you for this contract, girls. We're not going to be able to do shit. <laughs> we want to be competitive. Where y'all at? And again, like you said, it was a strategy behind it. No one really gave a fuck about you, your experience, your story, anything. Like literally didn't give a shit. However, they were going to pay you. Mm-hmm. So you could come in and, and get those coins, which I believe we deserve. So for me, you know, if you're incorporated, it doesn't matter what space. It doesn't have to be technology, right? It could be HR, health, doesn't matter. Um, there's, there's important work to be done there on how to navigate the social scenes and the business scenes and the meetings and the boardrooms. Yeah. And I think that's the point, right? Because I'm not, listen, I would have told you that you have lost your ever loving mind if you didn't take that job, right? Like, oh, they can literally, they cannot put out contracts mm-hmm. without, XYZ demographics on the team, you fulfill that demographic, they finna pay you six figures or whatever, right? Like, yeah, you better go take that money. And also, what are you doing? Have you gone through a, you know, a reclaim type program to make sure that when you walk into these white spaces that are also heavily dominated by men, that you have the tools, the healing, the capacity, all of these things to protect your sanity, your emotional, your mental, physical well-being, all of it. All of it. Because like I said, we're not burning the system down anytime soon. Mm -hmm. So how do you exist, stay safe, and protect your peace within it? Mm -hmm. And make some coins. Well, I would say while getting your money. (laughs) Because at the end of the day, listen, I'm like, how do we make money? Right? Because the more money we make, the more of a problem we become also. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. More black billionaires. Let's do it. No matter what you think about the moves Jay-Z is making, that man does whatever he wants because he is a billionaire. It's true. A billionaire. It's true. But yeah, I am um, definitely DM me. I I mean, <laughs> Whitney will tell you. Uh, I will also say though, if you identify as a black indigenous woman of color, always feel free to just like DM me on some like what's good shit. If you are a white woman, you are also still welcome to DM me, but understand that like Whitney said, like sometimes our time is limited. And so I do prioritize women of color that DM me. So if I see your message and you're like, oh, she saw it and didn't respond, I will get back to it. But I am responding to women of color first. And I'm, I'm very honest about that. I literally prioritize women of color and, and, and specifically black women um, first because they're the most marginalized. Y'all, y'all can wait. I'll get to you within 48 hours, but I will respond second. 
So So don't be offended. (laughs) I love it. I really, really do. And I'm so glad you agreed to to get on here. I wanted to just introduce you to my network, my my group, my listeners, my subscribers, my my team, everybody, and show them who you are and what you're about and the work that you're doing. And hopefully this message spreads. I feel like we have the power to change and and shift the direction of this coaching space. I know I plan on doing it um, in my way when that time comes and I've got my, my armor and my glutes or whatever I need to, to do this, um, I will be working on that. And it's, it's really powerful work. So I'm excited. Okay. So your website is louisadoran.com and it's yeah. L-O-U-I-Z-A-D-O-R-A-N.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is also your Facebook, right? The Louisa Duran on Facebook. You can just yeah. And you can, and also on Facebook has the link to like IG and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm way more active on IG. Like I have Facebook, but I only got on Facebook a year ago. And I'll be honest, I am on a shadow ban on Facebook, which means that even if you follow me, you, unless you like no click to like always see my shit. And even if you do that, you won't see me. So Facebook has shadow banned me because I am highly problematic according to their algorithm, but I'm very, I'm smarter than the algorithm and I use particular language that like they can't actually ban me for. Mm -hmm. So they've shadow banned me, which means that my posts and stuff never get out there. Um, So follow me on Instagram um, because I basically don't exist on Facebook because of that. Uh, You're a messenger though. So you, you are. Yes. Yeah. So you can messenger me on Facebook. I'm super, I, I have that app downloaded. They can't, block that. But I just mean for people who want to absorb like posts or content, because mm-hmm. I do, uh, I do put out free content again, aimed at people with marginalized identities, mm-hmm. um, on, on both platforms. You just won't ever really see it on Facebook, um, because their algorithm hates people of color and especially loudmouth brown girls, um, which is fine. But yeah, so according to Weezus on Instagram, um, and again, you can find that through the Facebook or my website. Perfect. And also the podcast link. So the podcast yes. um, is also on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts. If you're on your phone right now um, or you, you're into Spotify and you like to listen to show on Spotify or what? Um, I miss Stitcher. Any. Stitcher. And SoundCloud. Yes. And We're SoundCloud. everywhere. Yeah. So, and then you can find all those links too on the website. So mm-hmm. just wanted to say that since you guys are typically on your phones and stuff, um, definitely make sure you're following both of us. We will go live on Instagram. So if you're listening to this, the day that it releases or maybe even the weekend after we're going to go live. We're going to do a Q and a, we're going to kick you a little bit, talk a little shit. Um, and then (laughs) always, and then we'll come back in a few and do another episode, maybe a spill segment. You know, I like doing spill segments with people who I know. I try to make sure I've, I've gotten to know them. And what I like too is when I'm able to bring people in as strangers or as the how did we meet segment, it makes it so that you get to know them a little bit, why they do what they do, what makes them tick, what they're passionate about, what ruffles their feathers. And then we get to bring them on to talk about some realness. And the cool thing is if you're a listener now, you get to help curate that content. So whenever there's something that you want to hear talked about, all you have to do is send me a message. You know, I've got two IGs, which is exhausting, but I do. One of them is Whitney Danielle Coaching. The other one is 
at Network and Spill. So you can follow me on both. Slide into those DMs. Make sure you share this out. And if you're listening to this, screenshot it real quick and then send it to me on IG stories. That's been a lot of fun lately. I am so excited. I get people who just will text message me or DM me and I'm like, oh, you guys are so nice. Yeah, I love that too. Tag me, tag me. Yeah, tag us. And um, we'll share it out and give you some give you some shout out love, but Mm -hmm. that's pretty much it for today, guys. I really appreciate you staying until the end. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen, whether it's Spotify, Google podcasts, or Apple. Make sure you're sharing this out with your friends on social media. Make sure you tag us and make sure you're here for the live. I will post when we're going to do it. It will be in the evening, probably late afternoon Pacific time. If you're on the West coast. Um, and yeah, did you have anything else? No, I, you're amazing. Thank you for having me. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I just, you know, I'm just happy to be here. Yeah. And I, um, oh, I will say, listeners, y'all have full permission to ask whatever you want for this, like, Q&A and, like, curated content. I am, I'm up for literally anything always. I'm very transparent. So, mm-hmm. no holds bar. That's it. Sweet. We'll get it popping then. All right, guys. We'll be back next week. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. Cheers. Bye.